Hello, everyone, and welcome to CBA's At The Bar, a podcast where young and youngish lawyers discuss with our guests legal news, events, topics, stories, and whatever else strikes our fancy. I'm your host, John Amarillo of Tastatinius and Hollister, and co-hosting the pod with me today is my friend Chastity Burns, Assistant Public Defender at the Cook County Public Defender's Office. Hi, Chastity. Hi, everyone. Our audience will hear this a few weeks late, Chastity, but we're recording this pod on International Women's Day, and we're joined by Sharon Jones, CEO of Jones Diversity. Sharon's resume will take the entire podcast to read in full if I did, but let me just give you and our audience some quick highlights. Sharon is a trained lawyer, Harvard undergrad and law school, so underachieving, I'd say. And she's currently specializing in diversity consulting and training for individuals, law firms, corporations, and other types of organizations. Before that, Sharon served as a federal prosecutor, a partner in big law, and has worked in-house for companies like Abbott Labs and SBC Communications. Sharon has also taught at Northwestern Law and for NIDA, served as the president of the Black Women Lawyers Association of Chicago, a position Chastity currently holds, has won numerous awards, is widely recognized as an authority in the field of diversity issues, is in town from New York for the CBA's Women's Day Summit, and has a new book out entitled Mastering the Game, Strategies for Career Success, which we'll be getting to shortly. I'm out of breath, but Sharon, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for joining us. So Sharon, let's start with uh, softball, just to warm up a little bit. What's the state of gender diversity in the law? How far have we come? How far do we have to go? And why can't we all just be equal? That's a great, easy question to start with. Um, (laughs) We've come a long way, and we still have a long way to go. Women represent 37% of all lawyers in the profession, although, as you know, we're about 50% of the population. We're about 50% of law school graduates, and so that's all good. However, partners, women partners in the largest uh, law firms are only 22 23% of all partners. It's partnership generally, so income and equity? Yes, both. What accounts for that? Well, right, because you'd assume that based on their percentage in the profession, women mm-hmm. should be at 37% partners, right? right? And uh, there are a lot of things that account for it. A part is the culture of the largest law firms, most law firms, there were cultures created by white males. And so the people who have been successful in those cultures are, no surprise, white males. And the rules, the cultural rules of those law firms are the rules for white males, What the, the unwritten rules that white males know and understand. So give us, as a white male, give me some <laughs> examples because I'm sure I'm missing it all. So, uh, for example, self-promotion is really important mm-hmm. in a law firm. But it's certainly important in today's world. And so women and people of color are oftentimes socialized not to be all about me, right, Mm -hmm. not to self-promote. Women are oftentimes socialized to be more demure and to be more focused on the team and other people's participation. But the way that you are successful in law firms today, you really need to make sure that your brand, your image, people understand. Mm -hmm. So a good example would be if somebody asks you, could you work on this assignment? Uh, Your answer could be no, which could be accurate, like you're busy. Or it could be no, because I'm going to be on trial next week. Right. right? So you just did a minor little provide some information that self-promotes. Because now I know, oh, you're going to be on trial. That's a great thing if you're a litigator. Mm -hmm. So it's that kind of thing that um, 
It's how do you keep people updated? Some people right. just do their work, but they don't keep their partners or people that they're working with, the client even, updated on what's going on. But people want to be updated, right? Yeah. They need to know, is it going to be on time? Are we on track? You know, Because they don't want to hear at the last minute it fell through. So then is it just a matter of women learning those norms and patterns of behavior? Well, that's part of it. The other piece, and thank you for bringing that up, is there are a lot of structural barriers in the profession that impact people. So, for example... You know, a big one is how do we handle parental leave, maternity leave, right? How how I does want to it, talk about that so much because I've got it, so many questions. Yeah, right. How does it impact, you know, your progress in the profession? What kind of support is there for people who have kids, right? I mean, think about the law firm, law, most law firms, not all, but a lot of it's based on hours billed. Mm -hmm. That's a model that you don't get extra credit or paid more because you came up with the solution quicker, right? Right. And I mean, imagine what it would be like if we just focused on who came up with the solution quicker. So what's the alternative? Have it be a different billable system. I mean, that would be one that's a bigger issue. But I mean, it's partly why you hear clients talk about we want alternative fee arrangements. Yeah. Because it's just like, just bill a whole lot of hours. You make a lot of money. doesn't mean you solve my problem if I'm the client. Sharon, you mentioned the importance of self-promotion and how this may not come naturally to women or to minority attorneys. There are, of course, some women in those higher partnership positions. How, as women, do those women support other women and try to pull them up while at the same time trying to succeed themselves? So it's really important to pull up people behind you. Some people do it. Some people don't, right? And I want to encourage all people to pull up people behind them, especially uh, women. It's important to be role models. It's important for men, especially men who have dual career families where both people work, to be a role model, right? Because so many women and men see the model being in most of the large law firms, the husband works and the wife stays home. Right now, you could flip it, and it could be the wife works and the husband stays home. But the whole idea is one person's home and one person's working. Still the one, these the, days, yeah, still Not these like days. With millennials, want something different, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm just thinking. I don't know any millennials who stay home. Right, right. Millennials <laughs> want something different, but. We're not necessarily there yet. They're not. Most places aren't run by millennials yet. No, not yet. Not, we're, we're working on it, though. I mean, the one thing Mark Zuckerberg did uh, at Facebook is when he had his first child, he took off a long paternity leave and he made a big deal about it, right? So, Sharon, with regard to the gender pay gap and parental leave, that's an area of this conversation that I'm really curious about. As a non-parent, I don't understand the insides and outs of it, but I know that my law firm, Taft, a couple years ago went to a four-month paid parental leave policy, which I believe was one of, if not the one of the industry leaders at the time for that. And it occurs to me that if both parents are taking four months off, they're both being, quote unquote, punished for that time period equally. So if firms have that kind of policy and there's still a gender pay gap, what accounts for that pay gap? It's not just the missed time anymore, right? Right. So having that type of policy is a big plus, right? The most progressive law firms are moving toward 
parental leave, not maternity leave before, but that they used to have maternity leave, and then they would have paternity leave, mm-hmm. and then it would be different amounts. And then they'd have to figure out, do you, how do you handle gay couples? How do you handle if you had a surrogate, you know, adoption, et cetera? There's all these different exceptions. Right. Now it's just plain, and I'm sure your firm is this one, it's just plain. If you're a parent and you have a kid, you get four months off right. if you choose to take it. That's fabulous. Research shows that women do best in achieving leadership roles in organizations that have parental leave. So that's huge. And you're right. It's because if it's an environment where men can take off without being punished, Mm -hmm. then that's a plus. I have seen a number of instances where organizations have parental leave and men, especially millennials, want to take off. Mm-hmm. But the unspoken word from other men in the firm, or I should say, but it's what they, what informally what men tell other men is, oh, you better not take off. You know, mm-hmm. and you'll hear a senior partner sometimes say, well, I only took off a day, right? Well, that might be the truth, but that was a long time ago and, you know, in a galaxy far, far away, right? Yeah. It's not the kind of thing that, millennials want to hear, and it's not the kind of thing that you should want anybody to do. And so in those environments, sometimes the men really feel cheated because now you have a policy, but I'm told by, you know, mentors not to do it because it's more damaging for my career Mm because I'm a man doing it than if I were a woman doing it. And Sharon, how do you think that whether or not we are able to take the initiative to have compensation talks plays into the gender pay gap as well? So... The clearly, well, let me just say this. Firms that have lockstep have no gender pay gaps, right? I mean, where they move people year to year and, you know, like they start, let's just make up the numbers. Year one, you're making 100, both men and women. Year two, when you're year two out, you make 110, right? When you're lockstep like that, and there are some firms in New York that are like that uh, and elsewhere, There's no pay gap because it's just based on time in the job. And then the only question becomes, how do you handle leaves of absence for any reason? Okay, so I hear what you're saying there. But I wonder if if you scratch beneath the surface if that's really the case. Because even if you have lockstep for partnership, which is really, really unusual, the people who are less profitable are going to be pushed out, right? And You've been in big law firms. You know how profitability is measured. It's mostly measured based on business generation because you can always find people to do the work. The hours don't matter as much the older you get, right? Right. So if you have lockstep but women are lagging behind in business generation for some of the reasons we were talking about before, and I hope we can talk about a little bit more now, then are those statistics being skewed a little bit? Like is it essentially fixing the game by hiding the gap? Well, that's a good question, and I don't know the answer about that. I do know when the system is based on origination, you have to do a lot of work to make sure it doesn't have uh, implicit bias against women, right? Because if we looked at Fortune 500 companies, the largest ones in the country are Fortune 500 companies in general, and we looked at their general counsel, it's 74% males. And so— For the top spot. Yeah. Right. General counsel. Yeah. Right. And so if there's affinity bias, which is people like to pick people just like them, right? That's mm-hmm. just what the way people are. Then there could be a tendency that male general counsel pick men to get their business. Mm. 
So where does that leave women, right? There's only 26% female general counsel in the Fortune 500. So not as many. And if that's their only source, and, and you know, those women general counsel may or may not pick them, right? right? So that kind of impacts the ability to originate business. And the other piece that does it is who was there first, right? Because firms, a lot of firms have these rules that, oh, I knew that client and I have my name on it. So yeah, even though that client didn't I come in. I touched it first. Yeah, yeah. I touched right. it first. Yeah. Well, you, we already know that law firms are predominantly male anyway. So that's going to be some male touched it first. This happened to me. And so even when you bring in the client, they're like, oh, but I get all the credit because I touched it first. But you got to have that fight. I've had that fight with older yeah. partners too. Yeah. But, you know, then it's a fight between the powerful and the powerless. Yeah. And who wins that usually? Usually the powerful, uh, right. but, 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 but sometimes I've won that fight sometimes, and it's right. just a matter of being loud enough. Well, and having somebody to support you, That's right? Because sometimes if some more senior people will support you, like right. this isn't fair. And all firms don't handle their origination in that way. Some mm-hmm. handle it differently. They right. reward the whole team. You know what I mean? They may give the person who brings it in a little more, but they reward the whole team. Mm-hmm. And in those systems, women do better. Mm. Well, actually, the idea of having someone at the firm to support you kind of brings me into uh, one of the topics that was in your book that I was really interested in, which is having a sponsor and having a mentor. And I know that's super important at firms for women to have that support system. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between a sponsor and a mentor and why that is necessary? Yes, and it's important everywhere. So a, a mentor is, and that's usually the term we're all familiar with. It's somebody, could be a peer, could be someone more senior than you, who can provide you advice, right? They've been there ahead of you. They understand the ropes. Uh, they can explain any unwritten rules who are the powerful people in your organization. A sponsor is a person of power and influence who's in the room when it happens, to kind of quote Hamilton, and who will advocate on your behalf. That's a huge difference. Mentors don't have to have power or influence in your organization, but a sponsor does. And if if you're picking somebody to be your sponsor and then you find out they don't have any power or influence, they're not your sponsor. They're just a mentor. So it's essential to have a sponsor, certainly if you're coming up for partner and in a corporation, you want to have a sponsor when it's time for you to move up into leadership roles because a sponsor will be there when all the decisions are made and he or she will be, they need to be advocating for you. The other thing is I want to encourage people to actually have a conversation uh, with people. You know, the worst thing that happens is somebody thinks that's their sponsor and the person's like, I'm not using my chips for you. Right. Right? They only have so many chips and maybe I'm going to put it on Bob or Barbara. I'm not going to put it on you. Right. So you need to find out. So you can. This is sort of a novel concept for me. I always thought part of picking a good mentor is making sure they would be a good sponsor for you. Otherwise, they're missing half the equation. Well, they could they could develop into a sponsor for you because you don't need a sponsor like when you're first year, right? You don't need a sponsor, there, right? All yeah. you need is somebody to help you make sure you do the work right, you know, where the bathroom is, you know, like the di- the basic okay. stuff, okay. right? Okay, so, so the mentor there more, is like yeah. more of a senior associate as yeah, opposed to be. a partner. But as you get more senior and you get closer to starting to come up for partner, then you have to have a sponsor. But why would they sponsor you if they're not your mentor? Well, they they have to know you, right? They need to know you. But keep in mind, sponsors are not necessarily so 
wanting to spend so much time with you, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mentors need to do a lot of care and feeding and nurturing. Yeah, a lot of babysitting. Right. Sponsors <laughs> want you, like, already developed. You're like, you're developed now, and I'm going to just take you that that okay. little bit to get you over the, the hump. So they kind of vouch for you, Yes, the they totally vouch for you. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. And that person's vouching means something. And what does this sponsor look like? You know, what what should a sponsor look like for me? You know what I mean? As far as a woman or a man, someone, you know, with a similar background as me. Doesn't matter for a sponsor. Okay. Not, all they have to be is powerful, powerful and influential. Yep. Does it yeah. matter for a mentor? For a mentor, sometimes people care, right? Some, I mean, you should have more than one mentor, right? Mentors within mm-hmm. your organization, mentors outside your organizations. Sometimes you want a mentor who has been through some of the same things you have, who understands your experience. Sometimes you don't. It's good to have mentors across lines of difference, right? So if I'm a black woman, having a white male mentor is great because that person's going to connect me to the white old boy network, right? That's a big plus. Mm-hmm. But there's the gay network. There's the woman of color network. There's a woman's network. There's a lot of networks. So having mentors across these different dimensions gives you access to those networks. Very valuable. So it's just good office networking skills, really. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) That's probably a good place for us to take a quick break. This episode of At The Bar is brought to you by courtfiling.net, your solution for filing in over 100 courts in the state of Illinois. Courtfiling.net provides a better e-filing experience, focusing on speed and ease of use in the e-filing process while quickly addressing the pains that can arise from a newly mandated process. Courtfiling.net is affordable and offers 24-7 phone, email, and chat support. Visit us at courtfiling.net to take advantage to receive 30 days unlimited free electronic filings and see why it's the best solution for your firm. Let courtfiling.net worry about your e-filing so you can get back to taking care of your clients. And we're back. So as per always, we were having a great conversation when the mics were turned off. Chastity, why don't you pick up where we left off? So Sharon, how do you initiate the conversation to get a mentor or to get a sponsor? What does that look like? So that's a very good question. And I mean, I think first you need to see if you have some common interests, some connection with the person. And after that, that's a perfect time if you want to ask the person, oh, you know, would you be willing to be my mentor? This is what I'm thinking. We would meet once a month or whatever you're thinking. Something that's structured. That, well, yeah, because the person needs to know, is this meaning you calling me every day? You're going to be in my office (laughs) every second? Or is it something like 30 minutes once a month, right? That I can handle if I'm the mentor. Uh, I think that could be helpful. You can do it informally if it's somebody you work with. It's Mm -hmm. a lot easier because you're there, but it could be someone you don't work with, which is still very valuable. And one of the big questions is these days is mentors across gender lines. How Mm -hmm. does that work, right? Because the whole Mm -hmm. Me Too movement has made some people much more skittish Skittish is the right word. Very skittish about, you know, men mentoring women. And oftentimes that's the dimension because the men are in more senior positions still, right. right? And so they're in the position to be a mentor or a sponsor, and then women need that. So how do you navigate that? Yeah, that's challenging. But, you know, I think being open about it helps. Now, I'm a big proponent of formalized sponsor programs and 
formalized mentor programs because what it does I've had such do. Bad experience I know with those, you, though. but the, you could have good experiences okay. with them. In the Me Too era that we live in, it provides a lot of cover for people, right? Because uh-huh. then, oh, and you hear male men say that in a formal program, I will happily mentor women because it's all known that this is what's going on. Uh, Their big concern is that if you see. If I'm the white male right now and you see me having lunch with a woman, that some people are going to assume there's some hanky-panky going on as opposed to a mentoring lunch. Uh, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Exactly. So if it's a formal program, then everybody knows and then it's all fine. Okay. So matching is important in formal programs. Right. right. You know, and, and so, but it's true even if it's informal because you might try to build a mentoring relationship with somebody you don't connect with. Right. Or you could build a mentoring relationship and then make it official so that people keep their own. Yeah, you, know, you could stick do to their own mm-hmm. business. Yeah. <laughs> so perception is so important. You were just talking about the perception of having a male mentor, a female, and everything like that. And that reminds me of another part of your book that I really loved. The whole thing was just very valuable. But the image management part stuck out to me because talking about a woman's image is kind of taboo, but you make it seem like it's definitely something that needs to be considered and thought out and strategized. So what made you write that section of the book? Why is that important? You know, um, image is really important, and it's something people don't spend a lot of time talking about, right? So when I'm thinking about image, I'm thinking about what you say, how you act, and how you look. And one of the things is it's really important that you act consistent with your brand, right? Or your image that you want to put out into the world. So if you want to put out in the world, I'm a professional and um, you can't then be seen in off hours at drinks acting crazy or on the weekend, right? Because you could run into right. clients, other business people. So I'm not suggesting that you have to drink be at so- home like any <laughs> self-respecting individual exactly, right. lawyer. Yeah, just by yourself where no one can judge you. I'm not saying you got to be super serious, but I am saying you want to be very conscious about it at all times. For women, a big piece is hair, right? You know, you you hear a lot of conversations about hair. And I will say in New York, so for black women, hair, and for black men, hair is a big issue. Right. And you're, I know Johnson's looking at me like, what are you I talking about? I literally just scratched my head. Oh, right, right, right. Well, um, but it's going to be, is it braids? Is okay. it, you know, like okay. an Afro look? Is it all kinds of ethnic different kind or of Or why hair? is your hair six inches shorter today than right. it was yesterday? Or whatever. <laughs> and so. So it's, um, it's more about, I guess, the contours of that debate than are what do we consider to be a professional look? Correct. So there's a law that just got passed last week in New York that. It's illegal to discriminate against somebody based on their hair. Now, I know you're thinking, mm-hmm. you're kidding me. That's specific. That's mm-hmm. a law in New York City? Absolutely, because there were instances in, like, restaurants and sales positions where people were told, you got to go, your hair is not right for this brand or your hair is not right for this business. Yeah. Um, and so well, what if they show up with, like, pink hair or something? Where are the lines? Well, I mean, you know, what, so— What's the what, what's the limiting principle to use legal well, lingo? so it's a new a law, so we don't know what okay. the case law is yeah, going to be, right? That's what lawyers right? are for. But, I mean, one of the things I would just say is, because people will say, well, I have to be authentic, me. And if pink hair is the authentic you, that's fine. But you need to know that— there are consequences that flow right. from these choices, right? right? Every choice we make has consequences. Yeah. And if you're fine with, if they fire me because I have pink hair, well, then I'm okay with it. Great. Yeah. 
You know, in some jobs, what they will do is they're never going to put you out front if you have pink hair, mm-hmm. right? So you can work at the back and you can crunch the numbers and do all the computer programming, but you won't be the president. You know what I'm saying? So, right. And in others, pink hair is a plus, right? You just got to know where you are. That's true. But probably not in the legal field. Yeah, not in lawyer because lawyers are very conservative. Right. As a general rule. Yeah. They're very like, conservative. You can't be your authentic you by showing up to federal court in flip-flops. No. 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 But federal court has come a long way. Because when I first, when I was practicing, women didn't wear pants to court. That shows you how long ago it yeah. was, right? Okay. And yeah. that was huge when... I remember when I first saw the first woman in pants in court, I was like, what? You know, even my own head, I couldn't get it straight, you know? And now it's like, no big deal. Yeah. But you don't see mm-hmm. people in shorts in court. Like, it hasn't gone that far. I hope we never go that far. Right, okay. There's so got to be something on that. Yeah. You talk about investing in our professional appearance. And so as women, you know, we always want to be considered based on the quality of our work rather than talking about our clothes and our hair and what kind of shoes we're wearing. But that's still important. So how do we reconcile those two concepts? You're right. It's very important. Well, one is you don't want your appearance to be a topic of conversation, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. then it's gone too far. Now, you could probably think, well, why are they talking about it? Uh, it's just normal. But, I mean, you want people focused on your work and not how you look. However, it does matter some of the choices you make. So I always say look to people right above you, you know. Uh, right ahead of you or a little further up to see how they dress and how they look and then try to follow that as closely as you can, right? Because then you know that from an organization standpoint, you're going to be within the realm of what's acceptable. Let's talk about Beyonce. (laughs) (laughs) This conversation took a turn. It took a turn. But you use Beyonce as a good example of image management. Why? Yeah, well, Beyonce is somebody where they've said there's never been an ugly picture of Beyonce, right? Because she really manages her image. And I saw a story that said she spends a million dollars a year on hair and makeup and all of her self-care. So that's all we need. That's all you need, right? That's an investment in your, uh, you know, your appearance. Now, everybody doesn't have to spend a million, but it does say she's very serious about that. And she also watches social media, you know, and what people say about her and the videos and what's written about her. I mean, she's, she has a brand and she tries to have absolute control of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that is great. You know, you need to think really carefully. I'm just going to branch into social media for a moment because people do put on Facebook and whatever, all kinds of crazy pictures and look what I did this weekend. And you have to ask yourself, is that consistent with your image, right? Is that Mm -hmm. consistent with your brand? Because people can pick up Facebook. You know, people, employers look at Facebook. Everybody's looking at, it's not just Facebook, any social media, Instagram, everything is accessible and it could be totally inconsistent with your image. So speaking of stupid millennial mistakes, <laughs> let's talk about work-life balance because I know that's part of your book and I am so over this conversation. I like I just I can't anymore hearing millennials whine about work-life balance. It, you cannot be a successful up-and-coming lawyer these days and have a work-life balance, in my opinion. You need to make your life fit into the contours of what makes you successful at work. That is as controversial as I'm going to go. And that is really sad. Tell that me is sad. I'm like thinking I got to quit now, really. Uh, I mean, 
you know, I mean, that is a law firm view, though, you know, but but I will say some law firms are starting to respond to millennials. They represent 40 percent of the workforce and in some places, 50. And so you need millennials. They're the workers. okay? like and so if they get mad and leave, where will you be? Right. And so I think there's always more to hire out of law school. (laughs) Okay, whatever. Inexhaustible supply. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So I would say you want to make sure that from a millennial standpoint or any worker standpoint, you got to try to make work fun. Right. Sure. Mm -hmm. And not let law firms take the fun out of work. Right. So (laughs) part of that, what does that mean? Sometimes it's, oh, you have to travel in business. Is it something where, oh, now it's Friday. Can you stay the weekend, right? Can you stay an extra day? Can you enjoy the place you are, Mm. right? Can you have dinner, go in early and have dinner with a friend, right? Mm. I mean, that may be just flying out in the afternoon versus coming at night, right? But it's the thing that now I had a great time because I got a chance to see an old friend. You're networking too, right? right? From a business standpoint. So there are things that you can do to make it more fun for you. That's what I recommend. And then the other piece to help the work life balance is that I recommend is purchasing services, right? Mm. Because, you know, the law is a demanding profession. It is requiring a lot of time. Oh, an Amazon Prime membership at the very least is <laughs> Yeah, essential. that's a big plus, <laughs> right? Essential. But yeah, having groceries delivered, if you don't like shopping, like I don't yeah. like shopping Instacart, for groceries. Yeah. yeah, anything like that helps you. I had somebody who was an organizer and I wasn't good at organizing. So she would come over and like go through my closet, get all the bags out, everything. Just, there's an app for that. I need your number. <laughs> right. There's an app for yeah. that now. Task Rabbit probably. Yep. But the point is you use those people to help you. Right. And then you spend your time on the things you want to spend your time on and not the things you're not good at. So I don't know. I'm sure this is probably an issue with men as well as women, but I just hear my female friends talk about it a lot. I do travel a lot. I love to go on vacation, but I just feel this overwhelming guilt when I'm doing nothing. How do you get past that and this pressure to be a workaholic and to constantly be productive? Well, it's important to have downtime, right? And so I think with vacation, the challenge is if it's too short, you don't get a chance to really downshift, right? Yeah. Okay. You know, like a one-week vacation, which everybody's like happy to get, is probably just a little too short, right? Because <laughs> right. you, if it's two weeks, you really have the chance to downshift and then get ready to come back for work. Because before the end of the two weeks, you already, you know, your mind is starting to think about coming back. Mm-hmm. Same on a week. You have to first get there and get into the the routine of, oh, I don't have to wake up at a certain time. I get to do what I want. And before you know it, it's time to get my head back on work, right? I encourage people, if they can take a little longer than a week, to do so. But also know that having this downtime makes them a better person when they come back. They're more creative. That's exactly that's right. And Going back to my original attempt to provoke you and you doing an expert job of avoiding it, I think the expectations that lawyers have, millennial lawyers have about a work-life balance just need to change. You, you can't go home at five or six at night and unplug completely. That's just not realistic. What maybe is realistic, and I know, Chastity, it's a little bit different in government, um, <laughs> but what is maybe realistic is you take that couple two-week vacations every year and you leave your cell phone at home. Or, you know, 
uh, leave it in the suitcase at the very least. That's realistic. So it's just, for me, it's a question of striking a different balance than what I think some people seem to expect. Although there are places like in academia and other places where they don't email you on the weekends. Even in some consulting firms, they have adopted a behavior that they don't email on the weekends, right? Because there is so much pushback from millennials on this. Really? And so I'm just, I know well, you're kind of like, profit what? institution? I do not get emails on the weekends. Right. So I will so you, say that. And you're in government, <laughs> government. right? But consulting yeah. is for profit. Well, okay. Is, yeah. And they're, you know, all you have to do they're, is. They're also like on the road five days a week, though. Or four, yeah, four, right? Yeah. And so the idea is on the weekend, you that's, they don't work on weekends right. generally. So that's sprint walk, sprint walk. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So, you know, and then there's the, you know, some of the investment banks. I don't know if you, there was a story not that long ago, but actually some stories where people like died in the office and that's like bad for business with millennials. <laughs> so they decided that they have a rule now, instead of it being seven days a week, 24, seven, seven days a week, one weekend a month, you have to be off one weekend, but they make a rule. They had to make a rule on this. But I'm just saying, law firms could use it too, right? You got to make a rule because that disconnecting helps people. Right. Yeah. And like you said, you do better work when you're well-rested. Yeah, you do. You really do. Do you have any like quick tips that we can use while we're in the office or after a big trial and we're just drained, but we've still got work to do and we can't go home yet? What do you do to kind of de-stress in the middle of a stressful situation? Scotch. (laughs) Yeah, right. That's probably bad at the office. But, you know, (laughs) one of the big things now that they're talking about in London a lot is mindfulness. Mm. And in banking, all the big banks, they brought in monks and people to come in and teach their executive teams and their employees about how to be more mindful, how to meditate. Mm. And to uh, so maybe you take a five minute meditation break. You know, maybe you can if the weather's nice, you can go outside and breathe some fresh air, walk around the block. You know, it's some little things that help you just kind of disconnect for a moment and separate. Go out and eat your lunch, right? Because oftentimes we're eating lunch at our desk to make Mm -hmm. every little minute matter. But, you know, you need a break sometimes. Your brain needs a break. Mm -hmm. But you also have to eat right. That's the other Mm -hmm. thing I do want to say. Because I have started trying to eat healthier. And one thing I have noticed is... You feel better. Oh, duh. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, know, I know doctors all over the world are like, what? Okay. But you do feel better. Okay. And with that useful piece of wisdom, we should take another break. Seeking to expand your legal network, sharpen your skills, and obtain free CLE? Unless you plan on being a professional failure, that's probably a good idea. Join the Chicago Bar Association today and connect with lawyers and judges who lead Chicago's legal community. The CBA will help you expand your personal and professional networks while providing practical programs and resources that meet your specific practice needs. New lawyer membership starts at just $82 a year. Learn more at www.chicagobar.org. Need a lawyer? Steve? I do. You look like you need a lawyer. The Chicago Bar Association Lawyer Referral Service has been making referrals for over 70 years to attorneys who have been thoroughly screened for experience in over 40 different areas of the law. Call 312-554-2001 or visit us online at www.chicagobar.org backslash LRS. And we're back. So before we wrap up today, Sharon, we're going to play a game 
everyone's favorite game, my favorite game, Stranger Than Legal Fiction. The rules are simple. Chastity and I both spent some time researching strange laws that exist for some often inexplicable reason in the real world. We've paired them up with laws that we've just made up or perhaps were once real but no longer exist. And we're going to quiz you and each other to see if we can distinguish strange legal fact from fiction. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. All right. So Chastity doesn't want to go first, so I will. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll call you out for that. All right. Option number one. In Indiana, it is illegal for gas stations and convenience stores to sell cold beer. Option number two. In Sarasota, Florida, it is illegal to park an elephant without paying to do so at the parking meter. Sharon, what do you think is real? I think the Indiana law is real. Why is that? Because it seems a little stupid, but it's not too stupid. And the elephant one seems a little too stupid. Yeah, okay. Chastity, what do you think? I think the Indiana one is real for the same reason. <laughs> that was easier than I anticipated. Aww. Okay, well, okay. Did you think it was stupid just because it's a stupid liquor law or because we're talking about Indiana? Because an elephant, how often do you have an elephant going down the street that you have to worry about where well, it parks? Sarasota, Florida was the summer home of the Ringling Brothers Circus. So I didn't oh. know that. Circus aficionados <laughs> would know the may have been more thrown off by that question, but you are both right. In Indiana, it's illegal for gas stations and convenience stores to sell cold beer, which got me curious about other weird blue laws in Illinois, or in Indiana, I should say. You also cannot buy alcohol on Sundays in Indiana. That's still a thing. Mm. Uh, liquor stores can't sell cold soda or bottled still water. I don't know what they have against cold really? drinks in Indiana, wow. but um, maybe wow. some of our Indiana audience can uh, can write in and let us know. But well done, ladies. <laughs> You're both right. Thank you. Okay, Jessie. my turn. Okay, so in Connecticut, a pickle cannot be sold unless it bounces. That's one. And then two is, in Illinois, it is illegal to pass off margarine as butter. I think the Illinois one is for real. Fact. I'm, I'm pretty sure the first one with Connecticut is real. And I think the second one is real also. I'm wondering if this is a trick question because <laughs> it would be consumer fraud if you were mislabeling it. Right, Sharon? I think so. But I think I've heard the Connecticut one before. So... Are you trying to pull one over here? I'm not. I'm not. So, okay, the Connecticut one is real. And the Illinois one, it is real, but not in Illinois. Uh, <laughs> but, it, but it would still be consumer fraud. Did I cheat? <laughs> I think that's cheating. No, I'm picturing, like, being in someone's house and they serve you something that is margarine and tell you it's butter. Oh, not I'm picturing it, huh? that as being illegal as well. Oh. You can't pass off. Margarine is butter. Oh, I see. So Anywhere. very so carefully chosen phrasal verb there. <laughs> exactly. Right. But regarding the uh, the Connecticut one, yeah, your pickles, they have to bounce. According to a 1948 article, this law became a necessity after two scheming pickle packers tried to sell pickles unfit for human consumption on the sly. So Connecticut's food and drug commissioner at the time proclaimed that a real pickle should bounce when dropped from the height of one foot, leading to new state regulation. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the kind of value this show will always bring you. 
that's going to be our show for today. Happy belated International Women's Day for our audience. I want to thank our guest, Sharon Jones, for joining us in what has been an insightful and hopefully enlightening discussion. I want to thank everyone here at the CBA who makes this machine run, including my co-host today, Chastity Burns, our executive producer, Jen Byrne, Ricardo Islas on sound, and of course, everyone at the Legal Talk Network family. Remember, you can follow us and send us comments, questions, episode ideas, or just troll us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at CBA at the bar, all one word. Please also rate and leave us your feedback on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcast. It helps us get the word out. Until next time, for everyone here at the CBA, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you soon at the bar. Bye.